Well, welcome everyone. I'm excited to open up God's Word with you guys. Um, we played Monopoly for the first time as a family yesterday. And uh, it, it was quite an endeavor. First of all, it takes forever, as you know, right? And so I was kind of dreading it, so we figured, you know, we started early and tried to end it, and we were able to finish the game. Um, the hard thing was that the kids finished the game by themselves because me and Erica were the first ones to lose. And then, what's, what's wrong with this picture here, you know? So we're trying to explain the rules of the game to them. And before you know it, they're just, they're just pulling up properties, building houses and hotels in their properties, like, and they're cutthroat about it, you know? It's like, hey, can you get Poppy a cut here, you know? I don't have the money to, like, no, Poppy, you got to pay that up, you know? I got to mortgage my houses now, sell like, my property. My, my, and then Lucas is, like, mocking me. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll trade you this property for that one. And it's totally a ripoff. I'm like, he knows what he's doing. I just think, man, my goodness, this kiddo, man. So I, I realized Monopoly, um, it, it brings out some ugly in my heart. I don't like losing, and there's nothing in my monopoly about giving, right? I was like, I'm going to get as much as I can because I want you to go down. And, you know, sometimes those are the kind of mindsets we take into life at times, where we live in a society where it's really about acquiring as much as we can, and we start continuing on and losing less of a focus on actually being generous and giving and ultimately realizing what the purpose of material wealth is all about. And so last week, we opened up a, a two-part section of our Pray It Up series on giving and finances and money. And, and so today is our, our second and final part about it. I'm excited about talking to you guys about it. Um, it's interesting. Jesus talks more about money. I've said this before. Jesus talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. That, that's interesting. Jesus understood that money is a vital part of our lives. And he also understood the power it could have over us. And so I know some of us are visiting today, you might be newer to the brook, maybe you've been here for two Sundays, and you're like, really, the first two Sundays I'm here, you're talking about money? And sometimes churches have the reputation of, of talking too much about money, but there's also the other extreme of talking too little bit about it. And so we're really trying to find that, that middle ground here, because to not talk about money is to not give us God's teaching about something that is central to the daily operations of our lives. And if I want to be a faithful pastor who loves God's people, I want to give you instruction about something that matters day to day for you. And so that's why we're focusing these two weeks on money. I've titled today's sermon, The Almighty's Dollar, because really everything we own belongs to God. The money we have, your bank account, no matter how much or how little might be in there, it belongs to God. And so I want you to hear this. What belongs to us belongs to him so that what he's given to us, we can give to them and them as other people. In other words, the Almighty's dollar has been given to you to invest in the Almighty's mission. See, God God wants us to see our possessions in such a way that we can use them and leverage them to bless and, and help other people out. And so there are questions, though, that surround that very statement, aren't there? To whom do I give? How much do I give? How often do I give? What does that look like? What are our own needs? What do I take care of at home? And there's all kinds of things that swirl around there. And as I mentioned last week, I want to state up front here, money in itself is not evil. It is not bad. It is not bad to be wealthy. It's not bad to be rich. But it's wrong to be stingy. And God doesn't want us to hold what we have with a tight fist that says, you can have this over my dead body. And so what he's calling us to do is recognize that all that we have, and it might be a lot, is all that's meant to be to advance his mission. 
And so no matter how you perceive yourself today, you might envision yourself as one who's very well off. You might think of yourself as one who's really struggling. You might think you're struggling because of choices you made or struggling even though you're trying to really grind it out in a, in a wise way. Some are wealthy and realize, man, I could be wealthier or I could be poorer. And there's all different mindsets. And I want to say this message is for you no matter where you're at in that spectrum. Because at the end of the day, what you have, no matter how much or how little, truly belongs to God and not to you. He owns everything. He's got his trademark on everything. He owns the copyright on everything that is good and pleasing. And so today we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about money from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's actually the next chapter over from what we talked about last week. And we're going to look at four different principles of viewing our money and of giving. And I'm hoping to be very practical today. Last week, I was giving you, us a big picture of what it means to be just generous, just, just having a giving heart, to, to not be tight-fisted. But today, I want to give us a little more practical instructions based on what we believe God is teaching in his Bible. You know, I've been encouraged and somewhat rebuked over the last two months, I'd say, as I've had conversations with different ones of you, some who are so eager to learn about giving. And I felt rebuked in that because I was thinking, man, God, I want to be faithful in instructing us. And my neglect of teaching practically about money has maybe not been helpful to some who are eager to give. And so for those of you who are wanting to give and eager to give, I'm excited to, to maybe give you some tangible steps of action. And others who are not really understanding what's the point of giving, why can't I keep the money if I made it, I'm hoping you have an understanding of money that is different than that. And so we're going to find ourselves in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. And that's towards the end of your Bible, 2 Corinthians. And by the way, as you look at the Bible, there is a table of contents in the front of the Bible. There's 66 books of the Bible, 39 in what's called the Old Testament, 27 in what's called the New Testament. The 39 books of the Old are before Jesus comes on the scene, and all the books of the New Testament are when Jesus comes on the scene and afterward. And the table of contents will show you where you can find books of the Bible. And so we're towards the end of the Bible in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, page what in the Pew Bible in front of you? 968. And if you don't own a Bible, please take the one in front of you. We would love for you to have God's word in your hands beyond Sunday mornings. I'm going to read verses 6 to 14 to get the passage in front of us. This is what God has to say through Paul on giving. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves, say this with me, a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all, say all, all grace abound to you so that having all, say it again, sufficiency in all, say it, things at what? Times. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service they're giving, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Beautiful words, huh? About giving. Here are the four principles I'm going to put before you, then we're going to unpack one at a time. The first one is to be prepared to give. The first principle of giving is to be prepared to give. The second one is, when you give, give generously like you mean it. (laughs) The third principle is be generous and watch what God does. And the fourth one is that generosity sparks worship. Generosity sparks worship. So here we go. Four principles. The first one is to be prepared to give. Paul says here, In verses 6 and 7, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. I'm going to pause there. Let me give you a context for what's going on here. As I mentioned last week, the Apostle Paul was a guy who hated Jesus, hated the church until he was confronted by Jesus, surrendered his life to Jesus, and made it his ambition to bring people into the church, to, to save people, to see people come to know Jesus. And he went around the entire Roman Empire talking to people about Jesus. And as he went from one city to another, he began to see that some communities were wealthier than other communities. And he felt a certain responsibility to cause those who are wealthier to give to help and come to the need of those who were struggling. And so in this particular scenario, there were a bunch of Christians who lived in the city of Jerusalem who loved Jesus, but they were poor. They were poor because their society had begun to ostracize them because of their faith, and they refused to cut business deals with them, to purchase their crops. And what this did is made the Christians isolated and ultimately into poverty, it led them. And so here Paul is saying, man, it's rough what's going on with these brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. He says, but I know that there are some people who live in the city of Corinth, modern-day Greece, who are doing really well financially. And so what Paul did, he sent a friend of his named Titus, saying, hey, Titus, go to the Corinthians and tell them about the needs of the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and see if God stirs in their heart a desire to give. Well, Titus comes back and tells Paul, hey, Paul, I delivered the message, and guess what? They're excited to give. They want to do it. And so Paul is thrilled. He's looking forward to what's going to happen. So they're starting to collect their money now. And then Paul's like, you know what? I really want to make sure because I'm going to go visit them, but I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to stop by Corinth, pick up the money, and go straight to Jerusalem and help our brothers there. And so when I get there, there's not going to be time for me to walk around door to door asking people for money. I want it to be ready when I get there. Titus, can you go back one more time and make sure they understand what I'm saying here? So Titus goes back with a letter in his hand, and that's the book of 2 Corinthians that we were reading here. And in that letter, Paul's telling this church, these wealthy people in Corinth, like, hey, make sure you're giving. Make sure you're being generous and sacrificial. And Paul says, let me tell you a story. There's other Christians in a city called Macedonia, an area, and they're poor as anything. 
And when I visit them, they begged me, they begged me to be able to take their money to help their brothers and sisters struggling in Jerusalem. And he's telling them, hey, people in Corinth, I know you've got means. Is God going to burden your heart? He's not trying to twist their arms. He's not trying to guilt trip, guilt trip them here. This is what he says. He wants them to have a cheerful heart. But he's saying, but at the same time, I want you to understand you've got a responsibility with the money that God has given you that belongs to him in order for you then to give to others. And so he goes to them here. The point is this, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. This is farmer language here. Most of us in the city got to think twice about this. To, to sow something is to place seed in the ground, and to reap is to enjoy the fruits of what grows from the ground. And there's no farmer who starts spreading seeds being like, oh man, my seeds, I'm just getting rid of all these seeds, just complaining about it. Because he knows that those seeds will grow into something greater, a, a beautiful harvest. And so Paul is saying here, hey, you got to view your wealth as seed. And you got to distribute that thing freely and see what God does with it. And so the first thing he tells him here, in light of that, verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. He says, I want you to be ready to give. We're not trying to do any arm twisting. We want you in your heart to have a resolve what you can and should give. So he wants them to know that. And a question people often ask, well, how much should I give? And I'm almost always reluctant to answer that question because we have a sense of sometimes false righteousness that comes in our heart if we hear a numerical figure and meet that figure and feel like we're good now. While at the same time, I think there's a legitimate question behind it, like what should I aim for? How should I grow in this? And so I want to give you some direction here, even though Paul doesn't in this passage, but God does throughout the Bible. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, as I mentioned to you guys, in the book of Leviticus, God gives laws and, and, and regulations for his people so that they can thrive in community. And one of those things was that they would be generous and give. And God calls this a tithe, which means tenth. And he says, I want you, my people of Israel, in the Old Testament, to give a tenth of all that you have back to me. I, I want you to tithe 10% of your goods. And so throughout the Old Testament, this is the standard God gives to his people. He says, give 10% of your income, but then he says there are tithes, and then there are offerings. He says the offerings is when you give above and beyond the tenth. And so what basically God has instructed his people, saying, hey, set the bar at 10%, he tells them in the Old Testament, and strive to give above and beyond that. And, and that's, the, that's the standard he sets for his people as they learn to live life together. It comes to the point where God says, if those who fail to do that in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, when they refrain from giving to God what he has said belongs to him, he says, it is equivalent to robbing me, God says. Isn't that strong words? Let me, let me read for you the book of Malachi. You might want to write this down. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And God says this through Malachi the prophet, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God responds, In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
And then God says, this is how you correct it. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. He says, see this, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Those remarkable words from God. He's telling the nation, you're robbing me because you're not giving to me what you know you ought to give to me, and the way to correct it is by giving to me what you know you ought to give to me and see and watch, see what I do if I don't provide for you. And so God's telling them to be prepared to give. And and he wants to move us to action, not twist our arm, not to guilt trip us, but to help us see that he has provided It's the Almighty's dollar for the Almighty's mission. And what I do is when I instruct people, when people ask for advice, I'd say, I really believe God tells us to give then from our gross income and not our net income because God says he wants the first fruits of our our income and our wages. So the truth of the matter is after the government takes their taxes out, that's our net income. But if we tithe from our net, basically the government has taken our first fruits. And so my encouragement to you guys is to let God have the first fruits. You know, I was once at a party with a friend of mine, and I met another guy who I didn't know who was a follower of Jesus. And he was very adamant. He made a right point, but in a wrong way, and I think he had a wrong belief, which led him in a wrong path. And, and it is this. He says, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing, therefore we have no obligation to tithe. He's partially right on that. But he's also very wrong in another way. On the, on the one hand, Jesus says in Luke eleven forty two, 42, he says, Woe to Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. He says, These you ought to have done, tithing, without neglecting the others, justice. And so Jesus says, Hey, this is still something that I desire. But the reason I don't think the rest of the New Testament talks about giving 10% is because of the concern I had when I opened up this section of the, of the sermon. Is that gives us a dollar amount in our minds, and then we sometimes think, I'm good because I did this. I'm good with God. I'm good with others. And really what God wants is a heart of sacrifice. And so you can, you can have percentages, you can have dollar amounts, but where's the heart? And so I I don't want to harp on 10%, but really what I want us to see is where's our heart with what we have? Do we understand that what we have is the Almighty's dollar or is it our own? So Paul says, be prepared to give when I come. doesn't give an amount. I'm giving you a general principle, but I want you to work that out with God and ask him, God, what will you have me do in light of what I know now? And the question is, well, to whom should we give? To whom should we give? And, and I think there's at least four priorities of giving in the Bible. There are many great um, kind of causes in our society, great things that, that we could give to. Uh, there are environmental things. There, there are research things for cure, curing of diseases. Um, there, there are different kinds of, you know, animal hospitals. There are all kinds of great things, great causes that we might feel a burden for. But a benevolent cause is different than what God's design is for and his burden for his church is. And I think the Bible shows us four priorities that we should prioritize with our giving. And the first one is to prioritize our own family. 
Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his own household, has denied the faith, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul's saying to, to neglect your family and to help out others is tantamount to denying your very faith because, because of our faith in Jesus, we have a, a responsibility to care for our family. But, but here's where it gets a little tricky because what we think is caring for our family sometimes is just spoiling them, right? You know, oftentimes we want to give our family what we ourselves didn't have, but a lot of times that doesn't mean giving to their needs but more to their wants. And so this is something we need to just get, get on our knees and say, God, help me discern how I, to, I need to provide for our household or for if you're a single, for your home and you as an individual and give what you need and discern what are my wants and learn how to give from there. These, these are tough questions. And I want to give you general principles because I want you to work that out with God. Because I want us to enjoy what we're going to see here later on in the message. Provide for your own family. And I think secondly would be to Prioritize the church, the second priority in giving. See, Paul says in the first letter of the Corinthians, he says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Paul's saying, hey, we're here preaching the good news to you, church, Paul says. Is it too much to ask for you to give back to the work? And there are other passages we go to, like Galatians 6, 6, that talk about prioritizing the church and the proclamation of the gospel. A third priority is the global advancement of the good news of Jesus, beginning in our own place and going throughout to the ends of the earth, as, as Jesus says in Acts 1.8, from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Philippians 4.16 is a verse that gives us that idea. And then a fourth priority is to prioritize the needy among us, beginning with fellow brothers and sisters of the faith. Galatians 6.10, Paul says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. And so we, we have a responsibility to give generously, and we have a priorities in our giving. But at the end of the day, Paul says here, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And to not feel obligated, in a sense, but to know this is what God has put on my heart to give. So that's the first principle of giving is be prepared to give. The second principle is this. When you give, give generously like you mean it. <laughs> I like the movie Sandlot, and there's a part where these, these two kids on these two different um, Sandlot kind of baseball teams arguing with one another. And one kid says, you bob for apples in the toilet, and you like it, right? And I think about that. as like, man, I want to give like that, like, you know, I, I want to say, I give sacrificially, and I like it, right? And, and so when I see this, I see Paul saying that that's really what God wants. He says, now reluctantly, the second part of verse 7, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, reluctant giver says, I don't want to give. People who feel under compulsion say, I feel forced to give. People who give cheerfully say, I desire to give. There is the difference. I was struck by this when I spent time in Liberia, West Africa. I've told you guys about this a few different times. A a country that is in poverty. There's just no other way to put it. It it, it is poor. And when you say dirt poor, that's what it is. They live on dirt at times. And yet, when we visited there, their generosity toward me was was just, I didn't know what to do with it. It just, it almost made me feel awkward. I felt so humble. I, I felt bad at times. Like, please stop giving me gifts. 
Stop, stop trying to treat me so special. And for them, they, just, they, they, they were grateful that I would come there and teach them the scriptures, and they wanted to demonstrate their love. And, and it's such a humbling thing when you see someone who gives cheerfully, especially when they don't have means to do so. See, this is not about amount. This is about attitude. And, and Paul says, God wants someone to be cheerful in your giving. And maybe right now, being really generous is a difficult thing because of different financial obligations, but you got to work toward it. And you can do it with cheerful heart, joyfully. When you give, give generously, like you mean it, because you like it. The third principle is this. Be generous and watch what God does. Love it. Be generous and watch what God does. Check this out in verse 8. Love what Paul says here. And God is able to make all grace abound to you who give, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound, what, for your own wallets and bank accounts? No, for every good work. What, What Paul is saying here is you give sacrificially and you watch how God will take care of you. And I love it. This past Friday when we had, we had an event here at the Brook, and one of the people speaking said, you know, I, don't, I can't explain it, <clears throat> but I know when I prioritize God in my giving, he takes care of us. It, it, in some ways, it's beyond our understanding. But God comes through. He will provide for your needs. And here Paul says it, God is able to make all grace abound to you. And we can't explain it always. But he'll do it. Well, how? Because this is how he operates toward us. Verse 9. He, God, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God is the example of generosity. He provides for us and calls us to provide for others. So watch what God does in meeting you in that place. Yes, we got to walk with wisdom. Yes, we got to walk in faith. And maybe you need some counsel to learn how to do that. And you, you reach out to a brother or a sister to ask, okay, this is my situation. I want to be more generous. Can you give me some directive here? And if you would love help on that, talk with me and I could point you to people within our family here. Because we want to be wise, undoubtedly. But we want to test God and see if he doesn't open the storehouses of heaven. So be generous and watch what God does in providing for your needs. Secondly, be generous and watch what God does in increasing your seed for sowing. And this is something uh, I want to bring to our attention. Let's take a look at verse 10. God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Now look, I've talked a lot about this. I have a, a particular hatred, and that's not too strong of a word, for those who peddle the good news of Jesus for means of financial gain. I hate it. And I hate hearing TV preachers telling people to give in such a way that dishonors God and pads their accounts. Hatred. And they use verses like this to teach and support a teaching that is not consistent with the Bible. And I'm going to show you how their teaching is wrong. On the other hand, I think we can shy away from what it is teaching. And and there is something here that, that doesn't add up to me intellectually, but I know it to be true spiritually speaking. 
And, and so look what Paul says here. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Basically what Paul is saying is you give and there will be times God may increase your wealth personally. And, and so what people who twist and say, you give a thousand, God will bless you with ten. You give ten, God will bless you with twenty. You give twenty, God will bless you with a hundred. You give a hundred, he'll give you that plane. And it goes on and on and on and it's nonsense. But, but notice this. If God does increase your financial wealth, Notice the purpose of it that Paul says. God will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. What he's saying here is, should God choose, he may not, but should he choose to give you more financial increase because of your generosity, the purpose of your increase is that you can give more. It's standard of giving versus standard of what? Living. What Paul is saying here, there are times where God legitimately does give you more resources and more money because you're generous and the purpose of it is just to give it away and to bless others. Wild to me. And I spoke with a brother here this past week. He pulled me aside and said, I want you to tell this story. And and I'm grateful he did. Not to toot his horn, and I love it. It's like, keep this anonymous. But he said there was a time where he was out of work for several months. And he said, as a family, they got together and said, we're going to commit to keep giving. We're going to keep tithing. We're going to keep giving to the church, no matter what comes our way. And he said, there came a point where they were $836.24 short of their mortgage. And he says, lo and behold, one day he goes to the mailbox and sees a check there from his previous employer, giving pay for his vacation time after they had laid him off. For how much, right? $836.24. And you know, sometimes it just, we, we don't know how to make sense of it. And, and, and there are times God just comes through in the most miraculous of ways, and there are times we struggle. So, so hear me here. I'm not trying to preach some kind of prosperity gospel because a gospel does not need an adjective. It is the gospel of Jesus, the good news. But God loves his people, and he'll care for us. We got to work hard we got to give generously. you got to trust him. There's a writer named Francis Chan who was a pastor. And he said, you know, in his heart, he always wanted to be rich. <laughs> Amen, right? It's like, who, 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 who didn't, right? But he says this. He says, he really, in his heart, he just felt like, man, I know if we were wealthy, we would give. He just, him and his wife just had this, had this burden. So he wrote this book called Crazy Love. And as I heard him say once, it was crazy successful. He sold over a million copies of this book. And just imagine the kind of increase he got from it. And all of a sudden, his prayer beforehand was put to the test. He said the first thing he and his wife did was set up a fund so that all the proceeds of their book went to this fund, and he never saw a dime of it. Millions of dollars. And through it, he has funded people getting girls out of sex trafficking and ministries throughout the world <laughs> without seeing a dime of a book that brought in millions. See, God brought him an increase to increase his generosity. And I'm sure that was a test, but he passed it. Be generous and watch what God does in providing for you 
maybe even increasing so you can give more. But there's a third provision here that is true across the board. Paul says this here, the second part of that verse. And he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see, the Bible teaches that when we put our faith in Jesus, we, grow, we, we, we are declared right before God. We who are sinful people who deserve to be nowhere near God are declared right with God. And then we start living this Christian life. We're trying to figure out how that looks, right? We're tripping and falling and messing up and, and you know, confessing our sin and coming back and trying to walk with Jesus. And we fall into another thing. And we're growing. And I believe what Paul is saying here is, as we learn to be generous, God will increase the harvest of our righteousness. And I think what he's saying here is, is that our generosity says something about our spiritual vitality. If you feel like you're hitting walls spiritually, you're just not growing, one way to see what's going on is say, God, have I been generous? Have I been generous? One commentator named David Garden writes, what we do with our money then becomes a litmus test for our relationship to God. If we try to hoard it or spend it all on ourselves, that should set off alarm bells that our relationship with God is out of balance or worse, non-existent. I think what Paul is telling us here, watch what God does. Watch how he grows you in your faith. He grows you in your relationships. He helps you out to see his glory and beauty in all kinds of ways. This is not so much giving to get something back, but giving because you love God and he's transformed your life. That's the third principle. Be generous and watch what God does. Well, our fourth and final principle is this. Generosity sparks worship. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. <laughs> Again, he emphasized that same point I just made. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Notice, Paul is saying, when these poor brothers and sisters who live in Jerusalem receive your generosity, what are they going to do? They're going to praise God. Your generosity will spark their worship. What a preach that we, with our resources, could be so generous that it causes people to worship God and thank Him. In fact, every verse from now to verse 15 shows how our giving causes people to worship. Notice he says there in verse 11, it will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many what? Thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will what? Glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them all and for all others. And then verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God, they're acknowledging God's grace through them that's worshipful. And in verse 15, thanks be to God, worship for his inexpressible gift. Time and again, Paul is saying, your generosity will stir up other people not to worship you, forgiving, but to worship the God who gave to you, and you gave to them. It's the Almighty's dollar. What belongs to us belongs to him, so that what's been given to us can be given to them. What's so beautiful about this passage, and we don't have time to really unpack the background of this, but in the early church, there was a divide 
between Jews and Gentiles. People who were of the nation of Israel and those who were not. Those are Gentiles. And, and throughout the New Testament, they're trying to learn, the Jewish people, how to understand that the Gentiles are their brothers and sisters. And what Paul, I think, is also doing here is helping them tear down racial divides through giving. Isn't that interesting? That, that our generosity to people who are different than us can help tear down walls that shouldn't be there to begin with. You see, God, God burdens people. And it's, the truth is, there can be racisms in our hearts that ultimately quench our generosity because we don't love people who are different than us. And that's where you're at today. You've got to repent. God, forgive me. Forgive me for letting background influence my generosity. Paul's telling us to be concerned with our brothers and sisters in Tokyo, in Monrovia, Cairo, Aleppo, and Tehran, Mexico City, and Quebec, Moscow, and Englewood, Austin, Rogers Park, Humboldt Park, Wrigleyville, regardless of where we're at, your generosity could bring healing to our city, nation, and world through the gospel of Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? Generosity sparks worship. And boy, how God wants worshipers. Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. So as God stirs your heart today, yes, you can bring others in your life to maybe help you discern this. Don't go broadcasting it. But let it be a true worship from your heart that pours out to others. What belongs to you belongs to him so that what's given to you can be given to them. The Almighty's dollar is meant to be invested in the Almighty's mission. So be prepared to give. Secondly, when you give, give generously like you mean it. Thirdly, be generous and watch what God does. And fourthly, generosity sparks worship. This is God's word. One last illustration, and I'll close with this. In the book, book of Luke, chapter 19, uh, 18 and 19, Jesus talks to a, a man who's known to be the rich, young ruler. And this rich, wealthy man comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus lists a number of commandments, knowing very well what's in this guy's heart. And this guy says, teacher, I've done all those things since I was a kid. And Jesus says, that's great. You got one last thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and follow me. And what's striking is what it says then. It says, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And he walked away. Sometimes we can hear a message that penetrates our heart and we can feel very sad, but just walk away. On the flip side, the next chapter, Luke 19, Jesus enters a home of a man named Zacchaeus, a tax collector who was wealthy and got his wealth from ripping people off, frankly. And when he saw Jesus and heard Jesus' message, Zacchaeus says this, Behold, Lord, 
half of my goods I will give to the poor, and if I defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. To which Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Not that Zacchaeus was saved because he gave away his money. Jesus is saying Zacchaeus was a follower of him, was, was saved, and it was evidenced in the fact that he did something about it. He didn't just feel convicted that he was wealthy or that he was being stingy or tight-fisted, but he was convicted to the point of action, unlike the rich young ruler. And as we hear God's word, whether it be on wealth or whatever it is on, to feel bad is only a starting point. To respond in a way that honors Jesus is the outcome of what things need to be. And so we need to respond accordingly. You know, I mentioned uh, sometimes talking about money could become a bit awkward. And um, I-, I want us to understand this really matters in our lives. And that God has a mission and it's global. He wants to see people everywhere come to know him. Because the truth of the matter is apart from Jesus, we're living in darkness. We're, we're, we're dead on arrival. But through Jesus, we can die to our old self and be given a new life. We want this good news to advance. If today you are not a child of God, the brook is here. These doors are open because we want you to hear that. The sin that may be on your shoulders, the rebellion in your heart can be forgiven, but it starts with you believing in Jesus, turning away from your sin and embracing his forgiveness for your life. And when that happens, you become part of God's family. And he will provide for you. He he will be with you always. He will never leave or forsake you. He will guide you throughout this life. And those of us who know Jesus, cling to his promises. Put your God to the test and do it joyfully. Saying, God, I want you to show up in my life. I want to see what you do and I want to give you all the glory. That's our prayer for us today, family. Let's pray together. Father, um, your word says that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. That the earth is the Lord and is Lord's and everything in it. So not once, God, are you hamstrung. And not once are you held back because there aren't means to accomplish your mission. No. God, you will do what you've set out to do. So with that in mind, God, you don't need us. Thank you for that. But in the same way, God, what a privilege to join with you in your work and to be an instrument, a messenger that brings your hope and good news to people who are hurting, helpless, and need healing. What a privilege to come alongside of our brothers and sisters and to provide for them that they might have peace and pleasure in you. So Lord, I pray that we would have a heavenly vision, God. That we would not think about ourselves, God. 
that we would, yes, enjoy this world and all the beauties and things and delights in it, God. May we enjoy it and say, to God be the glory. But God, let not our enjoyments prevent us from being about your work. Almighty God, it is yours. And we want to join you in your mission. Father, where there is uh, questions, Father, I pray that brothers and sisters would, would, would talk to leaders and ask for clarifying or ad, clarifying uh, advice or wisdom. God, we want to be a resource to one another. We, we don't need to figure this out by ourselves. We're all in progress. We're all in process. We're all trying to learn. So I pray that we would not feel shamed or guilted, God, but truly stirred, God, so that others might glorify you because of us. Be exalted in this place, God. And help us pray it up for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Families, rise to our feet. Prayer leaders, would you come forward into the back, please? And we want to just afford you the opportunity to let someone pray with you. You know, prayer is God's gift to us. And I know I say this each week, but man, I, I really, we, we really want to see God raise and, 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 and live in prayer in our hearts here at the brook our prayer team is here for that purpose and so as God speaks to you and challenges you uh, let, let our brothers and sisters pray with you if he's moving your heart in one way or another um, we also just invite you maybe you might want to come forward to the stage or the altar here and just bow down before God not because there's something special or, or spiritual or radical about it but sometimes we need to solidify the things God's doing in our hearts by taking a step forward and maybe the step forward is coming to a prayer council. Maybe the step forward is bowing down here at the altar. So, so let God establish what he's doing in your heart this morning as we sing and as we pray. So let's sing together, family. the grave. 